There we go. Can you hear me now? Everything working, Liz? Good. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, here we are again, another COVID Sunday. I suppose you didn't need to be reminded about that, but it uh, looks like things are going to be extended until the uh, 16th. I think it is 16th. And away we go. Keep wearing the masks. Keep doing the social distancing. Keep doing everything that it is that we're supposed to be doing. And hopefully, you know, we'll get through Christmas and uh, then we'll be on our way in the new year. This is uh, what we're hoping for. But for those watching this morning and those that will be watching through the week, uh, it's so great to be able to be here with you. It's so wonderful that we are able to stream and and do what we want to do here this morning. We're just going to, first of all, open with, with prayer. Father, in these very strange circumstances that we find ourselves once again with COVID and with the way things are going, Father, we know that the same God who was with us in the first wave is going to be with us in this second wave, and that, Father God, everything that needs to be taken care of, everything that is going to be needed in this situation will be provided the same way it was provided before. So in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we stand here this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe that, Father, you're going to speak to us, that you have a word this morning for us, that you have a path for us, you have purpose for us, and that this is not just another church service, but this is the day that you have ordained, and this is uh, a day that you want to speak, and you're going to give us life-giving information this morning that is going to help us to walk this walk that we walk better, with more strength, with more confidence, and more hope in you. So we say, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of the benefits of streaming is that if you're watching on YouTube, and I think you can do it on Facebook also, for sure, I think both, you can leave comments, and if you have a prayer request this morning, just send that through. Liz will be able to write it down, and uh, we'll go through those prayer requests at the uh, end of the service, or if you have a comment, you can do that too. And um, I want to thank my sister Ginny for doing the background here. Um, I put it together at the first of the week, and let me tell you, it didn't look this nice. Um, so my sister came and did what only she can do. Every one of these things here are perfectly, perfectly spaced. It's, <laughs> it's my sister. But I want to thank her for doing that. You know, as, as I jump into this talk, uh, this morning an old chorus came into my mind, God's Not Dead. Some of you uh, would remember this from way back in New Life Center days. Uh, God's not dead. He's still alive. God's not dead. He's still alive, God's not dead. He's still alive, I feel him all over me. And then it says, I feel him in this church. I feel him in the air. I feel him on the street. I feel him everywhere. I was thinking about that. What happens when you don't feel him everywhere? What happens when you don't feel him in the street? What happens when you don't feel him in your hands and feel him everywhere? It's a very interesting concept. And in times like this that we find ourselves in today, with the way the world is and 
all that we're dealing with. And this is, everybody's got levels of anxiety about this. And everybody is going through their own personal struggles with what the way the world is and how it's affecting them. Everybody has their own story. You have your story. I have my story. Um, And again, I want to thank you for praying for me. Um, I talked about it last week. I cannot stress the importance of those simple prayers, those little prayers, big prayers, pictures, things that you receive for each other. Just pass them along because it's what keeps us going. But we're all walking with a certain amount of uh, opposition and struggle in these times. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. The first scripture that we're going to look at is Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And that, that is, in the perfect situation, that absolutely is the definition of faith. But faith has shown itself in different ways through Scripture. And sometimes, uh, maybe like we are today, faith can be challenged and tested by the circumstances of life. That can happen. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It certainly has been happening in my own life. And our confidence and our assurance can be eroded sometimes by the girth of the struggle, by the height of the struggle, by the depth of the struggle, by the intensity of the struggle. And I keep on wanting to stay in Paul's experience that we talked about last week when he was having all the struggles in Asia. And because it's such a rich example of where we are, where the world is really in some cases, and some people are having it much more difficult than we are. Let me tell you, for us here in Canada, let me tell you, Uh, We are living the dream compared to what most of the world has to go through uh, with the circumstances that they find themselves in. But nonetheless, uh, for each of us, you know, maybe this experience has really eroded your confidence and eroded some of that assurance. Well, you're in pretty good company because this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, he's talking to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was one of the churches that Paul planted. And uh, he had a very deep, heartfelt uh, compassion and relationship with the Corinthian church. So he's saying, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. And it's a tough go that he's talking about there. The Greek word used in the original text for despaired means to fall apart and to be utterly at a loss. And that's where Paul was. And I I did an awful lot of study on what the original Greek was saying there. And and I talked about this a couple of months ago, three months ago, I think, when we, we prayed about this. And Paul was in a place of real mental struggle, and he just did not know what he was going to do. One commentator put it like this. We cannot be sure what hardships Paul had in mind, but we know he endured riots, vicious attacks, imprisonment, and physical illness. 
The problems had been so great that Paul had despaired even of life, losing hope that he would survive. I wonder if some people are there. I wonder if you've been in circumstances like that. I know I have been. So we're in pretty good company here. In his discouragement, he had felt the sentence of death in his heart, almost succumbing to defeat, almost succumbing, I like that, to defeat. And, you know, the interesting about, uh, thing about this is that Paul took a chance being so honest about his weakness and his afflictions. I mean, if you want to be a great leader, if you want to be somebody that everyone's going to look up to and everybody is going to, you know, uh, follow, you would think that what you should be doing is showing no weakness at all and showing no struggle at all. But yet, Paul was more, he was he knew, the, he knew the power of the body. He knew how the body worked. He knew how the spiritual realm worked. He knew that it was by showing that weakness that he would then get the strength that he needed. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, you know, uh, Paul is not your typical likely leader. Um, and sometimes I think we put too much pressure on ourselves about what it is exactly we should be portraying as we walk our faith. Uh, One of the commentators, another commentator, said this. We find many signs in Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians that some in the church deplored all his suffering and belittled his ministerial power because of them. They regarded all this affliction to be unseemly and an embarrassment to their interpretation of God's power and the gospel power, which was supposed to lift one above all deadly perils to a higher spiritual plane Some questioned how God's power could result in such abundant frailty. And if you know anything about that letter, the two letters were in 2 Corinthians. Those two letters, Paul is talking about the fact that the Corinthians uh, were comparing him to what he called super apostles. They were very eloquent and... uh, they came with letters of recommendation from other churches, and uh, they had great uh, presence and seemed like just super altogether people. But in the middle of that, here's frail-looking, weak-looking Paul. And he said something interesting about that. He said, yeah, I may not be the most eloquent speaker, but he said, when I do show up, I show up with the power of the Spirit. And that's what's most important. Our natural giftings versus the spiritual giftings are two different things. And when God shows up, I would much rather have God show up in spiritual giftings than my natural giftings. I would much rather stumble to this platform, stand in front of you in utter weakness, which is exactly what I'm doing, in many ways, if you would have been with me this week um, and what I've gone through this week. But the thing is, you come up and you stand and you say, Father, not by my strength, but by yours. We don't trust in chariots. We trust in the power and the spirit of God. That's from the Old Testament talking about chariots, that you don't trust in the natural warfare of chariots and horses and all those things. We trust in the power of God in our life. And that's what Paul trusted in, and that's what he showed up with when he showed up. And that was his letter 
that was written to everyone. It's the fact that when he showed up, God showed up, even in his weakness. We fear showing our weakness. We really do. And I tell you, it's the most powerful thing we can do is to, now I don't think we need to wallow in our weakness. There's something totally different about that. I don't think we have to uh, sit and park ourselves in weakness to the point that that's all we ever talk about. No, because we have to understand that there is a power that resides in us, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, which I'm telling you can make the weak become strong. God said to me on the way in this morning, he said, Keith, the strength will be there when you need it. The power will be there when you need it. And that is a promise to us. God said he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This is very true. It may not feel true. It may not even be showing itself as true in your life at certain times. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. We fear showing our weakness. But showing our weakness is showing our real person. And that's the person that God wants to work with. We think the Christian walk should be all overcoming and power. Well, you know what? Listen, who wouldn't love to have it that way? Who wouldn't love to have it so that every time you prayed, every prayer was answered? Every time we believed, we got what we asked for. Every time we asked for change, things changed. You know and I know that that is not the Christian walk all the time. Paul proves it. Scripture proves it. The Old Testament proves it. The New Testament proves it. That God, in his mysterious ways, works in and through our circumstances. And we don't know how the spiritual realm works. We don't know the timing of God. We don't know the total purposes and the total plan of God. We see through a glass dimly. But in so doing, we have to trust that God's okay with our weaknesses. He's okay with our struggles and our afflictions. He's okay when our assurance and our confidence is maybe knocked down like Paul's. Paul's was, he was despairing of life. He was wondering, where are you, God? He was really wondering that because he said that they, later on if you read, that they were actually thinking they were going to die. They were kind of giving up that, okay, God's not going to show up. But guess what? God showed up. Probably when they were obviously least expecting it, God showed up. And God will show up when we often least expect it. But we have to be in some ways open to the fact of God doing that. And showing your weakness and showing your need and and saying, Father, my confidence and my assurance isn't where it needs to be or maybe where I want it to be, but I know that you are with me in it. Because he was in it with Paul. But in this weakness, there was something very important that Paul learned, and it's something that you and I need to learn. 2 Corinthians 1 and 9, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. There was a purpose to the weakness. We don't know why Paul had to go through the things he had to go through. And I don't know why you have to go through the things you have to go through. And I certainly don't know why I have to go through some of the things that I have to go through. But what we do know is that God is in those things with us. And that he is walking with us. And in this particular case, 
Paul got this incredible truth out of the circumstance. It's interesting, isn't it, that we stop relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. It almost sounds like that was the first time Paul ever got that. It does. It sounds like it's, he's just, this is what I learned from this circumstance. Maybe Paul had not learned it up until that point. Maybe he thought that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was just about uh, Jesus being raised from the dead, even though he did see people raised from the dead. But maybe he saw it as this spiritual thing that God is going to raise us on the final day and we are going to be raised up into the presence of God and the blood of Jesus is going to cover our sin and our life and we are going to live eternally with Christ. Maybe that's all he thought it was. I think he knew it was more than that. But what this really told him is, no, God in this circumstance raised the dead. You can think that it's, you're in a place of death. You can think that it's over. You can think that it's completely finished. But in actuality, what you think is dead, God can bring back to life. I don't know what in your life you may think is dead. Maybe there was a hope. Maybe there was an expectation. Maybe there was a vision. Maybe there was some kind of wonderful promise that God had given you. Well, the word for you and I this morning is that that is not dead. God is able to bring it back to life. But what's interesting, he said he learned to rely on God. It's not a natural thing. Not at all. Nobody likes being in the position of relying on God. We like to say that we rely on God. We like to say that God is with us and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and, and, uh, and those wonderful truths, and they very, are, very well are truths. But those truths become true when we really are in the situation that we need them to be true. Nobody likes being in a position where they have to rely on God. That sounds like a very counterintuitive statement, but it's the truth. When we are finally put in situations where we have to, we have to rely on God, whoa, boy, I tell you, there's not many of us that, that like that place. I don't think Paul liked it, and I don't think anyone likes it. When your natural ability to see the end of a situation, your natural ability to have answers for why it's happening, how you're going to get out of it, what's going to come out of it, when all of those things just fizzle away, as they did for Paul, because he thought he was going to die, he didn't have any more idea about what was going to happen except that he was going to die. When we get in those places, that is a place that we have to learn how to be in that place. God, the Holy Spirit, will teach us how to be in that place. It's not an easy place to be. And we have to learn how to appropriate the promises of God in those places. We, we have to learn how to fight for the truth of what we believe in those places. We have to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into strength and guide us into how to walk through those situations. It does not come naturally. It's something that needs to be learned. Many of you have learned it. Many of you have been in those situations and, uh, but you know what? It never gets easy, does it? It never gets second nature. It's always like, okay, okay, Lord, didn't see this coming. If we're going to walk with God, we will walk in times of weakness. It's just the way it is because God said to Paul at another time, he said, 
when Paul was saying, listen, I don't want to be in this weakness. I don't want to be that thorn in the flesh that he had. And Paul said, listen, I do not want to be in this. I, he wasn't being a hero. He wasn't being super spiritual. He was going to God and he's saying, God, Father, Dad, listen, I don't want this. I don't know what to do with this. I need you to take this away. And God said, well, he said, my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And don't worry, folks. Nobody, nobody likes learning that lesson. We love it once it's finished. And it does something to you. When you walk through a trial and you walk through times like COVID, first wave, second wave, when you walk through the, the doctor's prognosis that he gives you and you walk through it, when you have that loss or that struggle or that difficulty in your life and you walk through it, when you come out of that and you see that you survived, you see that something got you through it, when you see that God's word was actually true and that you're here and you're standing, when that happens, boy, there's something great about that. But getting to that point, oh boy, it, the, you know, the, the sun comes in the morning and the joy comes in the morning. We can get great truths when we walk through it. One other example of somebody else, this time from the Old Testament. Elijah running from Jezebel. 1 Kings 19, 3-9. Just one of my favorite pieces of scripture. You know, I'm really, I really gravitate towards the people that are facing tough stuff in the Bible. I really gravitate to people who are showing their real humanity. Um, and you're seeing some real examples of, uh, of weakness in the midst of God's power. It's, it's just uh, such a reviving thing for me. The backstory, you, many of you know the backstory. For those of you who do not know the backstory on Elijah running from Jezebel, Elijah was up on Mount Carmel, and all of the prophets of the false religion that was going on in Israel at the time, turning people away from the true God and to worship Baal, were all up there. And Elijah uh, had them do a competition. He said, you bring down fire from the sky and burn up the offering, and then I'll bring down fire. And the one who actually brings down fire is the one who is serving the true God. And as you know, uh, the prophets of Baal jumped around and they sang and they danced and then they, nothing was happening. And, and Elijah actually was kind of mocking them, said, maybe your God is in the bathroom. He can't hear you. I mean, he was just joking with them. It was pretty a high, pretty high day for Elijah. And of course, they started cutting themselves, trying to get their God to respond. Finally, Elijah steps in and says, here's the deal. And he prays and God comes down and consumes uh, the offering, the water, the rocks, everything. Tremendous day uh, for the power of God in Israel. And all the prophets uh, were killed at that point. But then all of a sudden, Jezebel, who was really running Israel at the time. Ahab was her husband. He was the king. But really, she was running the joint. And she was telling them what was going to be and what was going to happen. She heard about this, and of course, she wanted the prophets of Baal. It was uh, her doing that they would be doing what they're doing in Israel. And she said, I'm going to get you, Elijah. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. 
The sun's not going to go down tomorrow before I kill you. And we pick it up there. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, get a hold of that. We've talked about this before, but once again, get a hold of that. He's suicidal. He wants to die. He's in an acute state of depression and discouragement and and fear because it says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. So he was full of fear. He was full of depression. He was full of discouragement. Have you ever been there? I've been there. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He had basically given up. He had said, I'm done. And maybe you've said, I'm done. Maybe you've had those moments of saying, I just give up. I don't have any hope that this is going to be any better. I'm just giving up. Well, you're in pretty good company. Because one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah, by far, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament was right there with you in that same situation. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Broom tree goes, it's about three meters high. It's a big bush kind of thing. And uh, it's uh, got white flowers and it's actually quite a nice tree. Grows in the desert there. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Interesting, isn't it? Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And what's so powerful about that is Elijah was running for his life. He was running in fear. He was running in faithlessness. He was running in desperation and all of these things. And God came down through the fo- in the form of an angel and touched him and gave him strength to run. He said, listen, the journey, I know where you're trying to go to here, and it's a long way. I'm not going to try to stop you, but I am going to help you. I'm going to feed you, and I just think that's wonderful. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the beautiful thing about that, this Mount Sinai that he went to, was where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's where the great covenant between Israel and God was put into literally stone. And it was where Moses was able to see just the backside of God. God put him in the cleft of the rock and covered him so that he could just see the backside of God as he went by because if he had seen the full glory, if he had seen it, he would have been killed. The full glory of God Our human body is not made for it, and it would literally cause us to die, to see the full power of God. And here's Elijah in a complete state of desperation coming back to this same place. And you can almost see his heart, can't you? Like he's saying, I want to, 
what it, I got to go back to where this started. I'm going back to the covenant that God made with us. I'm going back to those, to where it all started. But the Lord said to him when he got there, what are you doing here, Elijah? Beautiful question. This is just another beautiful example of a servant of God getting to the limitations of faith and trust. But what was so beautiful about this is before God got into the deeper question of what are you doing here, Elijah? He met Elijah's physical needs. Yes, yes, Elijah was a great spiritual prophet and had done great things in the name of the Lord and had, uh, you know, had a great success. But God was looking at the person that was broken, weak, and discouraged. And he met him in that place. And what Elijah needed was some food. And what he needed was some care. And what he needed was some water. And what he needed was the delicate, beautiful attention of God that he gives us when we're weak. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it said angels came and ministered to him and gave him strength. When he was in the desert for 40 days, it said angels came and ministered to him. And I will say to you that God will minister to you in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your waiting, in the middle of your wandering through your very difficult time, walking through this COVID, walking through whatever it is that we might be going through, that God sees our physical needs. And he is going to meet your physical needs and he's going to meet my physical needs. He's going to meet your financial needs. He's going to meet mine. He's going to meet the needs that we have even if we are in such a state of utter desperation and and lack of confidence and lack of assurance like Elijah was, God still met him right in the middle of the situation and didn't lay some heavy guilt trip on him about what the heck are you doing? Why is your faith so low? And what's the problem with you? He didn't. He met him and he gave him nourishment and he gave him tender care as any parent would. A loving parent. We're seeing the wonderful, loving nature of God that saw the needs of Elijah, his physical needs and his emotional, mental, and nutritional needs as he was making his way to Mount Horeb. Elijah tells God about all the problems as he sees it. He says it like this. 1 Kings 19 and 10. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And that's the truth. It was an ugly situation. I don't think Elijah's not making this up. And except he is wrong on one of them. He was just speaking his perception. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So he was telling God, this is the way it is. This is the way I see it. And God's okay with that. God's okay with you telling him the way you see it. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to have a, a true, honest relationship with him. Again, we don't have to be that super apostle. We don't have to be that super saint. Be who you are. Be what you are. God knows. And he chose you before the foundation of the earth just the way you are, and he's going to work with you just the way you are, and he's going to work with me just the way I am. God then does something important. He reminds Elijah of his power. This is beautiful. First Kings 19 again. 
Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? God was concerned and wanted to know what was on Elijah's mind. He corrected Elijah. He said, listen, Elijah, I know it looks pretty bad, but it's not as bad as you think it is. Because you're saying you're the only prophet left? Well, in reality, God corrects him and said, there's 7,000 of my prophets that are still alive that I have protected as a remnant. So you may not see what God's doing in the background. You may not see the providential power of God working. But Elijah thought everything was gone. All the prophets were gone. What are you thinking? What am I thinking is gone? What are we thinking that is gone and never going to return? But yet here it is. God is saying, no, 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 no. I have the power to keep what I want to keep. No one's going to overpower God, not Jezebel, not COVID, not anything. God has your destiny, my destiny. And just because we can't see him working, just because Elijah didn't see those 7,000 prophets that God had kept doesn't mean they weren't there. And just because we can't see the power of God working, just because we can't see what God has provisionally set aside for us, it does not mean that it's not there. God made some promises to you and he made some promises to me and God's going to keep them because he's God. And if for no other reason, for his name alone, he will keep those promises. But a greater thing is he says he will keep them because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. And it's so beautiful that, uh, you know, God came to Elijah in the whisper. And it's so important during this time that we don't miss the whisper. You've seen... (laughs) I've seen some, some pretty crazy YouTube videos of pastors praying, one pastor specifically, praying against COVID. And it, it's just really kind of odd, actually, the way he goes at it, but screaming and hollering. And I guess there's a time for screaming and hollering, maybe. But in this time that we find ourselves, that you find yourself, that I find myself, we need to hear the whisper. We need to hear that loving whisper of God saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Saying, what are you doing? What am I doing? What do we want? What are we thinking? Where is our mind? Where is our faith? Where is our hope? And to be honest with God, because you know, if you keep reading through this, Elijah is sent back the same way he came. He's sent back to go and finish the job. And God gave him very specific things to do. God was not finished with Elijah, even though Elijah might have been finished with God. Even though Paul might have been finished, he thought his ministry was up and gone. But yet what happened? He got delivered, he got sent back, and continued the ministry that he thought was gone because he thought he was going to die. 
And what does Elijah do? He continues on a ministry that he thought was over and that he was no better than his ancestors and they were all going to die. But yet, what does God do in that gentle whisper? He sends him back in. You're not dead. I'm not dead. You're not finished. I'm not finished. We are going to go on, maybe in some very real human weakness, but when we need the strength and the power of God, the provision of God, it's going to be there. Even when our confidence and our assurance has maybe been pounded to pieces by circumstances and situations and listening to the news and listening to you know, medical reports and listening and looking at our life and wondering about how everyone is going to survive this crazy time that we are in. But know that this crazy time, God is the Lord, controller, and sovereign power over all of it. We don't understand how that all works, and we simply have to come and go back to what it is, just like it's so beautiful, just what Elijah did. He went back to the beginning to where the covenant was. And he was reminding himself that God said that he would be Israel's protector. He said that he would never leave them and he would never forsake them. That wonderful scripture that God gave me. All those years ago, walking on the beach, going through one of the serious boats of anxiety and depression and panic that I have been going through these last three months and went through in other times in my life. And the same God who brought me through those will bring me through this one. But in the meantime, I remember walking, and I've told you this a thousand times, but it bears repeating, walking that path, and maybe I'm just saying it for me this morning, but walking that path, and all of a sudden there in the path at 6 o'clock in the morning at the beach is a book of God's promises open to a wonderful, wonderful promise of Joshua Fear not, be not afraid, be strong and of good courage, for it is I who goes out with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's a pretty good promise to get at 6 o'clock in the morning when you're feeling that everything is gone. You go right back to that core promise. Jesus said that he would, the last thing he said to his disciples, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you, I will be with you forever. And this is the promise that God has for you this morning, and he has for me. So when you look at the circumstances um, of life that we're in right now, wondering how everything is going to work out, and, and, and I know some people have some medical situations that they're wondering how is this going to work out. I know some people have some relational issues and they're wondering how is this going to work out. I know there's people worried about their employment. There's people worried about how they're going to get their life back, whatever that might look like when all this stuff is worked through and we get to whatever the other side of it looks like. God is the God who said, I am with you in it. I go out with you. God is with us in this situation. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, and if you don't know uh, that kind of faith, if you don't know that assurance, you need to know that there is a God who can get you where everything else says you can't go. There is a God who can open doors that you're maybe feeling or seeing in life and circumstances are saying cannot be opened. There is a God that will be with you in the middle of your circumstances so that the doctors may not have an answer, the lawyers may not have an answer, uh, the politicians may not have an answer, but there is a still small voice, a whisper that will come to you and will guide you through your situation. If you don't have that this morning, you need to get that. You need to have that. And it's so easy to receive it. 
You may feel this morning just this little whisper. Just a little whisper. Saying, what he's talking about, I want. What he has, I want. And that's the whisper of God. That little whisper may be saying this morning that there's something more than what you're living. There might be a little whisper that's looking at your past and saying, that is not the way to live. Those things I'm involved with, the way that my life is, there's something, a little whisper that's saying, that's not all there is. There's more. God wants to forgive our sins. Now that's a big one because today there is no such thing as sin in our culture. It's all just called personal truth. And whatever you believe, well, that's okay. But you know what? A little whisper can come along and tell you that that's not true. A little whisper can come and say, that life you're living is not right and you know it. You may be a Christian and that little whisper's coming this morning and saying, some things need to change and you know it. And God is the God who wants to change them. God is the God who wants to forgive sins. So you don't have to have that little whisper coming and that sense of guilt coming and that sense of condemnation coming. That little bit whisper is the voice of God calling you home, calling out through the, the crazy wind and fire and earthquakes of life like he did with Elijah. And afterwards comes in a little whisper. It's interesting, it's the whisper that that made Elijah come out of the cave, not the great rumbling of stuff. It was the little whisper that drew him, and God is drawing you this morning with that little whisper. He's drawing you into that relationship with him. And God wants to remind you, like he did Elijah, that he's still with him. And that if you've never had that opportunity to follow Christ, you've never had that opportunity to invite God into your life, then you can do that this morning. But it's the little whisper that God is calling you and saying, I have something that you can't see waiting for you. In this case, for Elijah, it was, listen, there's 7,000 prophets, not just one or two. There were 7,000 prophets that God had protected and kept. And God is a God of abundance. He is a God of provision. And he is the God who can give you what you never thought you could get. And why do we come to God just to get? Well, obviously not. But what we come to God for, in some cases, is to get one very particular thing, and that is the forgiveness of sins. And if you've not had that opportunity this morning or in your life to do that, I just want to show you how this happens. It's hearing the whisper and knowing that something is calling your heart, knowing that you want God in your life, knowing that you want the forgiveness, knowing you want the future that only God can give. God loves you, and he's willing to forgive you. And he will love you in a way that is beyond any ability for us to understand. But he will love you forever, regardless so if you want that this morning, the way, the way you receive it is to simply say, Father, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. I receive the forgiveness that you have given me 
through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and all my sins being laid on Jesus and the price being paid for them. And then saying yes to that in your life. This is the simple, easy, and God made it simple and he made it easy because he is hungry to have you in relationship with him. He is yearning to have you in relationship with him. So if you hear that whisper, respond to it and listen to it. The work went on in Elijah's life. The work went on in Paul's life. And the life, the work will go on in your life also and in my life. God has much more in store for us than we're able to really comprehend. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us this morning and what you've said to us through these wonderful examples of how you come in and meet us in our weakness, how you come in and meet us when our strength is not where it maybe could be or should be. But you meet us there. And Holy Spirit, I pray as you speak to whoever is listening this morning or at whatever time they are watching this, that, Father, they would hear that little whisper and they would say yes to you, that little whisper to keep going and say yes to it, that little whisper to invite you into their life and say yes to it. Father, we are all listening for the little whisper this morning of your word and your guidance. Father, we thank you that we are with you through the covenant of Jesus Christ, through the power of the resurrection, and through the gentle presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there we go. Um, Were there any prayer requests? Okay. And whose? Okay. Um, We're going to pray. We're going to pray for some people. Father, we pray for Liam, and we pray for what's going on in that situation, and we are believing for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to come into this situation and to, Father God, change what seems unchangeable. Father, we pray against a history of things that seemed unchangeable. We pray against a history of knocks and bumps and trips and bangs. And Father, we are praying for a resurrection power of Christ to come into Liam's life and into the whole family in that situation, Father God. We pray for your resurrection power in that circumstance. And Lord, we just know that you have a plan, you have a way, you have a door that can open, you have prayers that are going to be answered. Father, this is not unto death. This is for the purpose of the glorification of Jesus Christ. And Father, you will do your good work in this. And we believe it today in Jesus' name. I pray for our supernatural faith uh, to come into the family, into Jerry and Judy and Rhonda and, and everybody involved in this. We just believe, Father God, that you're going to move. And that, Father, we don't have to understand the whys. We don't have to understand the hows. We just have to understand that you are with us in the middle of this situation. Uh, So we thank you for it, Father God. We thank you. I want to thank Janet for what you sent me this morning. Janet, thank you. That was was wonderful. I want to say hello to Brian and Sherry. Uh, It's good. I'm glad you guys are watching. Um, And uh, the uh, donation or offering, not donation, uh, we're going to put up a slide and it will let you know how to handle uh, the offering, because it looks like this is going to be going on for a while.
I think uh, I think it's going to go over Christmas. So uh, some people have dropped their offering here at the church, which is great. Thank you very much for that. You can do it at mosaicdonation at gmail.com. We'll put the slide up. Um, or you can go on the website and do it through Tithely if you have a credit card. Uh, it'll do it that way. Just want to thank you for your faithful support. Um, you know what? It's really interesting. Uh, our finances have gone up during this year, which is really quite amazing. And we're going to have quite a testimony at the end of the year. And I've spoken to other pastors where they've had the same, not everybody, but some have had the same experience where uh, in a time where there's less people in church and and there's so much disruption with everybody's finances and everything, where the church's finances have gone up. It's really it's kind of amazing, isn't it? But should we be amazed? Should we really be amazed? God said that he would be our provider, and he's going to be your provider, and he's going to be my provider. And uh, at that wonderful scripture that as you give, shaken down, pressed down, and flowing, overflowing, that God will give it back. And that's not why we give. That is not why we give. But in times that we find ourselves, and this is just a little bit of truth about finances, when we find ourselves in situations where our financial security is being threatened, uh, the, the kind of sense is to pull everything in. Oh, my heavens, we've got to be careful. We've got to, you see it in the stock market. You see it all. People just pull in and they stop spending and all that kind. And sometimes, you know, that's sensible. But when it comes to giving to God, now is the time to give to God. Because there, not only does it show faith, not only does it say, I believe that God is going to be my provider, it creates a spiritual principle that if I take this pen and I drop it, it goes to the floor. It's a law of gravity. There are some spiritual principles that God puts also in place, and one of them is around finances. That when you give, it will be given back to you. Again, that's not, that's not why you do it. And if that's why we do it, then we just need to talk to God and get that straightened out and get that fixed up because that is not the reason we give. We give because it is a way of saying back to God that we appreciate you. We love you. It's all yours anyway. You're the one who enables us to even have any finances. So I'm giving some back to you just as a testament of trust and thanks for your abundance in my life. So that's really, you know, why we give. But uh, anyway, I think that's it. We're coming on to uh, the end of the service. I want to, again, looking forward to when we can be together again. I'm sure it will happen, I'm sure in January. Here's hoping that, you know, we'll be able to get back together in January. Uh, Christmas Eve, we'll do a virtual service if we have to. Uh, I don't think they're going to open churches for Christmas especially. So um, until then, uh, keep the faith. Keep walking. Know that even in these struggling times and wherever your faith might be, God is with you. He'll take care of your physical, emotional, mental, spiritual needs. And uh, so go in confidence and look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.